Hey, this is Joel Allen, the host of Biblical Conversations, a place for honest conversation about the Bible and ethics. The topic for this biblical conversation is the Bible and the environment, and it's a conversation with David Hollis. Now, I know this conversation is deeply political, that it tends to be the case that Democrats believe in climate change and Republicans do not. And I just want to, as much as possible, I know you can't do this perfectly, but I, I, David and I try to divorce ourselves in this conversation from the political aspects. I know you can't get around the political aspect, but we just try to talk about it in terms of our faith and our children and our hopes for the future and threats to our national security. These are, if climate change is real, then these these are real things that we have to talk about, and I don't do it with any sense of a desire to score points for the Democrats, although the Democratic Party is much more engaged in the issue than the Republican Party tends to be. Right now, my wife is in Washington, D.C., and she sent a text just of, that I saw just before we started recording about a, a she was uh, up on the steps of the Capitol, and there was a big climate change rally going on there, and, and she texts some pictures back of the rally. Now, I thought that that's just interesting because it just it just illustrates the degree to which these issues are just a part of our daily lives. We hear almost every time I watch the news or scroll through my news feed, I find a story that has something to do with the environment. And again, we're trying to not do this politically, but to do it just from the question of how do we think about the Bible and the environment? How do we think about our faith in the environment? How do we think about our country and the environment? But we try to divorce ourselves from the, politi- the partisan side of this discussion. In this discussion, we're following a conversation conversation model that's often caused, called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. But I find it to be a helpful way to think through issues that uh, that tend, we like to think of as specifically Wesleyan, although many other denominations have very similar ways of thinking about theological and ethical issues. And again, this is not meant to be a podcast for Methodists alone. I very much hope that I have non-Methodists listening. But uh, we tend to use this Wesleyan quadrilateral, which is that we look at things from the vantage point of scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. Here at Dakota Wesleyan, where I'm a professor of religion and philosophy, we talk about this as the stir process, scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. So David and I, in our conversation, we start mostly by talking about scripture. Then we talk about some some about the, uh, the traditions of the church, and particularly we look at the social principles of the Methodist church. You may want to check out your own denominational statement on that. And then we go on and talk about our experiences with uh, issues of climate change. And then we um, I'll talk about reasonable outcomes or places that we could think about uh, a, a reasonable solutions. I just want to point out that there do seem to be cycles in this conversation. And I, uh, I refer here to a scholar named Catherine Hayhoe, who's uh, got a great TED talk on uh, climate change. But she, Catherine Hayhoe talks about how we, we go through these cycles of conversation. The planet warms, hurricanes get stronger, there's greater massive flooding, heat waves get stronger, floods become more pervasive. We think about Katrina and the terrible flooding in Houston and different areas uh, last year. And then scientists will release another doomsday report about how climate change is getting worse and worse and sea levels are going to rise and all these things. And then politicians push back, claiming that the, the, the science is no good, that there's really good reason to doubt climate change. And, and we just seem to be caught in this cycle that goes on and on and on. The fact is we've known about climate change of 150 years when scientists first started to notice it and talk about it. And uh, 
and Catherine Hayhill points out that the first president in the United States to get briefed on the dangers of climate change to our national security was Lyndon B. Johnson. And the basic science is very simple and, and fairly uh, dem demonstrable. You can take a container and fill it with regular air or just have a container that will have air in it and then incre increase the amount of carbon and methane in that container and test the, the, the degree to which heat will pass through it. And as you increase carbon and as you increase methane, it traps heat more. And so the earth has got a veneer of an atmosphere. The atmosphere is just this thin layer around the earth and we're pumping billions and billions of tons of carbon and releasing tons of methane into our atmosphere and it's just going to trap heat and it can be seen visibly by sea level rise which is already occurring. You go to Venice in, in Italy and the, the St. Mark's Square has just been flooding more than it's ever flooded before and nobody over there is doubting whether or not it's climate change because it's not political for them. It's political for us. It's not for them. And they all agree it's climate change and know that it is. Around the world, there's very little doubt about whether or not our, our atmosphere is, is increasing. But we do have that debate going on here. And so I realize that it is political necessarily, but I'm, I just want to divorce myself from that part of the conversation and just have a conversation about this without talking politics. Um, about 70% of Americans believe that the climate is changing, but only about 60% think that it's going to affect the U.S. And only 40% think that they will personally be affected. And only about two-thirds two of people say they never talk about it. And Catherine Hayhoe really encourages people to talk about this. And so that's what this biblical conversation on the Bible and the environment, we're going to talk about the environment. So we've known each other for a long time, uh, since then 2008, I think. Um, mm -hmm. So David is the uh, d the director of the Wesley Foundation at the at Belmont University. Is did I say that right, David? I did that for memory. That's, how, how that's you perfect. Your, yes. Perfect. Okay. Good. Good. And David and I were on staff at First United Methodist Church in Jackson, Tennessee, for a number of years. And what I remember about David is walking by his office. It was always dark inside because of his concern for the environment. He uh, often would leave the light off on his office, and I just really respected that. I thought, David, that's cool that you're 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 taking the these concerns seriously, and you're applying your life to what you what you care about. And and I was I really respected you for that. So yeah, I, think, uh, I think I was asked at one point by someone working there uh, because, you know, they, they would judge whether or not people were there by are their lights on and everything. And so they were right. very not used to someone doing that. And so they said, you need to, you know, leave leave something or by the door or whatever if you're in. And so then I started I had this little small I think it was a moose or a reindeer. Mm -hmm. um from Lakeshore, uh, the the camp and retreat center where I where I attended as a kid, and then I worked there and was on the board and met my wife there. Everything, mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah. I would leave the little guy by the door as my little you know token of if I'm in or not. And then, of course, I think he got caught up in all kinds of office shenanigans uh, as a result of that. So I remember going by your office and seeing that little stuffed and what what was it again? That little stuffed animal. It was either a reindeer or a moose, which okay, either, yeah. either either is not really appropriate because I mean there are plenty of regular deer, white tailed deer 
right. at Lakeshore, but there, there's nothing close to a reindeer or a moose there. So it was just, I don't know, it was, it was something they came up with. And I guess kids flock to um, those creatures. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. And David's also written a little book, and I, I was going to write down the title of it, and I can't believe I didn't. Three Trees, um, some, and I have it written down here. What's the name of your book again, David? It's Three Trees, and if you if you go to Amazon and you either type in my name, David Hollis, or you type in Three Trees, it, it should come up as, as one of those. And then the, the subtitle is The Beginning, Middle, and New Beginning of Creation's Story. Right. So right. long, and- long subtitle there. And and I had the honor of being a part of the naming that you're coming up with that name That's for right. the book. <laughs> that, yeah. uh, you yes. got the idea from a sermon that I preached, which is odd because I don't remember ever preaching a sermon with that title I or with a similar how, title. I think that's how all things go: is that when when people when something really sticks with people and they take it, you know, to such a length, uh, you know, that's happened to me. I think twice. One time I was even mentioned in in a book for something I said. And I really don't remember saying that. Yeah, yeah, that's and, great. And so it's just, that's the way that goes. And something about David that I always have respected, especially, is, is this issue in the Methodist church has uh, has a tendency to be lost. And I'm, I'm very hopeful that a lot of you listeners are not Methodist, but David and I are both ordained United Methodist ministers, and we'll try to talk more broadly than the Methodist church. But in the Methodist church, there's been just a huge hue and cry over issues of conflict over human sexuality. And in that mix, we just don't talk about climate very much, Where, and yet climate seems to be the more uh, existentially uh, severe problem that we're facing, and David is, has been one of those few Methodists that's saying, "Let's, you know, we've, we can't only be talking about this one issue that's about ready to divide us. Uh, we need to be talking about climate as well, and that could be an issue that would unite us. It could, it could actually be. So, I appreciate David's concern and kind of focus on on the issue of climate and the challenges that we're facing." Right now, and and I, I wanted to talk about just uh, some of the biblical. So this is going to is called the Bible and the environment. So we're going to talk through some of the biblical texts that uh, that relate to this. And and I, I know certain people see the Bible as like the problem, right? Because so many people, their worldview is shaped by the Bible, and they see it as you know this Christian belief in one God that reduces nature to stuff that's to be man- manipulated. That creation is seen as being passing away and having no eternal goodness or value. And, you know, the texts at the end of the Bible that speak about the, the universe, uh, the, 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 uh, the created world kind of being burned up. And so they, they, and then also, and it's also interesting to me, our problem passages are at the very beginning at the very end of the Bible, right? So one of our problem passages is right at the very beginning and that a lot of people have pointed to where it says that, uh, that God created the world. Well, just Genesis 1, 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over it. The fish in the sea, the bird of the birds of the air, the animals that scurry on the ground, as if we have like this control this that, that the earth is there as like something to be to be just uh used up because you're it's you've given control over it and we and that it's just that in fact i know i have a quote here from ann coulter who's who said the ethic of conservation is explicit abnegation of man's dominion over the earth the lower species are there for our use god said so go forth be fruitful and multiply and and here she uh uh 
extemporize this a little bit and rape the planet it's yours wow theologian wow friends yeah yes so, <laughs> so that idea is out there that the bible gives us permission to just kind of rape the planet or maybe i shouldn't even use that word but uh to well essentially that right um to exploit yeah to exploit yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely it, so, and, and the words in Hebrew, rada and kavash can be, they do mean take dominion over. They are royal language. It's what kings do. But David, talk to that a little bit. What, what would be your response if you were talking to, if you were on a talk show and you were sitting there with Ann Coulter and she said, you know, this is what the Bible says. Conservation is like a false doctrine. We're to exploit the planet and use it. Yeah, so before my head like literally exploded from my body, uh, yeah. if I were able to get any words out at all. Um, so one one thing I would offer, and I think that this would be something again that that faith communities, uh, not even not even specifically or strictly Christian, but but many faith communities can can come together in addressing the use of language and uh, i'm as you know joel and and i think you know anyone who knows me knows that i'm i'm really a fan of using precise language i think yeah. language is something deeply powerful it, it obviously creates realities and, and the words that yeah. you use um are are so potent mm -hmm. and i i can't even remember now the source that i heard it but several years ago, I heard something that really stuck with me about um, the the problem that we've gotten in in using the word the environment. OK. And using using that, you know, that kind of distancing word, because when you say, you know, when we talk about the environment, mm -hmm. we're, we're it's as if we're talking about something that's over there. You're right. And we're talking right. about, you know, we're talking about something that typically then almost almost it's a triggering political word because mm -hmm. you know people have used it politically and everything and it becomes something that you can choose to care about or not you know right. it's, do you care about the environment or do you believe something happening to the environment mm -hmm. and and that that's that's obviously a false construction right 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 there there is there is no environment that is apart from cre creation creatures yeah and yeah. Um, the, the creation can be from any a loaded word because you know it does t it typically tends to assume a creator or or that right, or right. that you know God created things. But I would even offer you know the, the notion of if you if you take God completely out of it, there's still a creation that exists, things that mm -hmm. have been created or things that have come about through a through a completely scientific process. If you want to go that route, still were created. Right. And so so I don't I don't think that it's as loaded a term as it as it has to be. But mm -hmm. all of all of those assumptions about you can do this to the earth or you can do that to nature or you can do this to the environment or, or whatever, they fall apart when you understand that we are all creatures. We are we are all completely wrapped up and dependent on every part of creation. Mm -hmm. um, there is this stunning delicacy um that you know people who can talk about you know the 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 
the notion of a butterfly effect, the butterfly flapping its wings, and this causes this chain reaction, and so therefore, you know, it dumps three feet of snow on my door instead of right. um, something else. Well, you know, I'm not going to get into the the splicing of that, but but it's simply it takes it takes almost no reason or logic at all. And you know, today we're talking about scripture, reason, tradition, mm-hmm. and experience, the, the kind of typically called the Wesleyan quadrilateral, and we can argue about why it's either not Wesleyan or not a quadrilateral or whatever right, else right, we have right. in our tradition, and it, it can be a really helpful tool. Right. And it takes no reason at all to say, if you exploit this right. and you do whatever you want, you, you, know, you dump, you dump uh, you know, pesticides or runoff or you dump oil or you dump whatever it is, mm-hmm we're drinking that water yeah yeah. we're or we're eating animals or we're eating or we're you know we're eating plants that have been fed upon that or whatever you want to do and and so that to me is this this thing that for some reason i I have not seen faith communities point this out enough right right there is no you know again there is no us and them there is no thing over there that something's happening to that's not happening to all of us mm-hmm. that's not happening to our children uh and you know if we're lucky our grandchildren whatever um but but you know so trying to 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 reform our vocabulary and and trying to really make statements that speak to the connectedness of all created things yeah. um to me is, is 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 the is the easiest stand against that kind of frankly nonsense yeah um, yeah and, and, is, and is there is there a language that would use like how like you said maybe creation rather than it's not so loaded as we might think but creation r- rather than environment is there other ways to talk about this that kind of words that we can use to tie it together to our so that it's our home it's our it's like someone bringing up you know poop into your home and spreading it yeah. all over the floor it's where we live well well i think yeah i think um you know our uh, yeah our home um our our i think uh, using that word our i mm-hmm. think is really meaningful right that, again we're you know we're saying that you know we share this home we share this this planet this resource um with with all created things right or with all or with all you know again or with all living things if you want to just kind of again kind of do a flat sort of reading of things um but anything you know anything that anything that is carbon-based carbon-based life um you know we're all in this together in terms of uh in terms of what we have to have in order to function and, and thrive in order to be healthy and well um and and yeah, the I mean the verb that I tend to use most and and it's connected with this with this resolution that we'll get to eventually is is care. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you know they're uh, you know I, I'm I'm called to be a caretaker to be uh, and and I think again that's the kind of dominion um, or or reign over or any of those kinds of you know readings of of those verbs. Right. Um, my my when I teach on it and when I talk about it, I say very quickly. Dominion is not domination. Right. Absolutely. Dominion, dominion is dominion is care. Dominion, right, you know, right. a good a good ruler, queen or king or a right, right. whoever, mayor, um, those those people are entrusted with the care of that community. Yep. yep. Um, and they're not in they're not given carte blanche, theoretically. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and you know they can't they can't just do whatever they want. They can't just run over people. They can't just you know set buildings on fire. Or theoretically, again, they're mm -hmm. they're held accountable for that. They're thrown in jail. Whatever happens, yeah. um, it, you know the king the kings uh, and the rulers in scripture. Um, you know they're they're judged they're, harshly. They're by, judged by harshly. How they right. care for their people. Right. Right. right, right. So and, I think. And, and, it strikes me too that that uh, you know the at the very end of Genesis the the, the phrase is repeated and of, of everything that God made that it was not only good but it's very good and that repeated phrase of it was good it was good it was good it was very good placed the whole creation as as having intrinsic value it's not just value to be utilized it's intrinsic value and then and then Genesis two I, it, it struck me too that I thought you know Genesis one and Genesis two have to be kept in balance because in Genesis 1, it's got this domination theme, and it's there. There's no doubt about it. But in Genesis 2, creation is, is depicted more as a garden, and, the, right. it's, and, yeah. and it uses different words, avad and shamar, to work the garden and to care for it. And right. the, that context has to be kept in mind that Genesis 2 is depicts the whole created world as a garden to be cared for and to be, and you wouldn't, you know, if you're, if you're expecting to eat out of this garden, you care for it. It's your, right. You're yeah. going to starve if you don't. And right, right. So, yeah. So how, I think, however you want to look at those, so they, they certainly have to come together. Right. We, right. You know, and we have, we have uh, the blessing of having, these 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 seemingly stories from seemingly different communities or different times or however we want to look at it but you know i i tend to talk about it in terms of you know i boil it down to when we say god is great god is good we have the mm -hmm. great god this mm -hmm. powerful god this in many ways transcendent god creating these things but it's god who's creating them and as you said calling them good right so you Absolutely. don't take something that god created and just you know kill it all off right, that that, right. that would be nonsense in your in your realm of understanding of that god and then in the, and then in the second story um you know it's deeply good in the closeness of god in the mm -hmm. in the imminence with an a of god um being present forming uh the the creatures from the from the soil um again you know a a, a really I think, you know, Bible study 101 mm -hmm. thing that we can teach about um, Adam and Eve not only being, you know, proper names, but standing for something. Yeah, standing yeah, yeah. Adam, Adam is from the earth, yeah, from from yeah. the from the soil. Like from dirt boy. <laughs> yeah, I think I actually ran across one translation not that long ago. I can't remember where it really actually called him the earthling and I the was earthling like, oh the my earthling. goodness you know isn't that great but, yeah but that's what it is you know yeah. um and and you know and then eve standing for life or, life. or living, living things yeah. um and so you know we that's another i think really easy thing to talk about um to kind of contextualize what's going on there uh, I remember a number of years ago, I heard an interview with a, a businessman in Brazil who had a company that was in the rain in the Amazon, you know, t t taking 
all of the resources and producing coal out of it. And he was interviewed and the interviewer said, don't you feel like any guilt about what you're doing? This is terrible for our planet. And he said, well, I'm a Christian. And as a Christian, I believe that the, and he went exactly to that passage in Genesis 1, that this is here for us to use. It says we're to dom- take dominion over the earth and I'm just taking dominion over it. And yeah. It was just like, yeah. well, yeah. there we are. There we are. That's Genesis one without this this more sensitive context that right. we're right. we're hopefully working out here. That well, and and that's I mean I think that's you know either either someone never made that connection for him or never made that problematic for him or or right. you know he chose not to listen or whatever. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I think there there are just so many passages that it's, it's just, it's, it's right there for you. Yeah. Um, whether you want it or not is, you know, another thing. I love that. The, also, as you continue reading in the Hebrew scriptures, there's all these places where concern for the created world pops up in many different ways. For instance, uh, in this, in the sabbatical laws in both the uh, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy five version, the, the owner of animals is commanded to give the animals rest. The animals deserve rest too. And in Deuteronomy right. five, it includes that before, because you need to remember that you also, your ancestors were enslaved in Egypt and you, they didn't get any rest. You need to give rest to your, your, you know, servants. And it includes animals in that mix. Uh, animals are, there's to care and concern uh, that is to be uh, exhibited toward animals. And, right. and then in Deuteronomy 22, it says, if you happen to find a bird's nest in a tree or on the ground, and there are young ones and eggs in it with the mother sitting on the nest, do not take the mother with the young. You may take the young, but let the mother go so that you may prosper and enjoy a long life. It's like right. you care for those animals around you, whether it's a bird, you know, so that you can have a prosperous and long life. Right. Uh, we're responsible. It's, it's, yeah. that's this. it's interesting. John Collins, a scholar who I've uh, read on this topic, his book is um, uh, what are biblical values? And he has a section on the environment, but his, this is a summary of the Hebrew scriptures perspective. He says in all of these verses, the assumption is that humanity depends on natural resources, including animals and that it is in the interest of humanity to take these resources, to make these resources last for future generations. So yeah. that's his summary of, and there are many, many texts he talks about. So yeah. You know, Jesus doesn't talk a lot about the environment directly, and he doesn't like command people to take care of the environment, but he shows a lot of concern for animals. And mm-hmm. um, in, in Matthew 6, look at the birds. They harvest and plant, and they uh, don't harvest and plant or store food in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add up to a single moment in your life? And so he uh, talks about the lilies of the field that you should take care that you should be impressed by and and uh, kind of remember that they don't sow or reap or gather in barns, but God takes care of them as if there's a a 
a godly concern for animals that are around right. us. How would you uh, explore that passage, David? And any thoughts about Jesus' statements there about the natural world? Yeah, I think that it's difficult to understand much of of what Jesus is doing and Jesus' life and and mission when it's disconnected from creation and mm-hmm. um I, I would lift up um uh, ellen davis is um an old testament scholar mm-hmm. um, but has written uh, widely and um one of one of the most meaningful texts um that that i've had from her is called scripture culture and agriculture oh wow um, and so she looks at primarily Old Testament, but also some New Testament um, parts on um, simply, yeah, understanding that that so many things about which Jesus speaks are agrarian mm-hmm. He's to a primarily agrarian society. Um, and she um, she points out our our distance from that is one of the reasons that so many things are lost in translation yeah um, so yeah. many of us are 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 not part of of an agrarian society in the sense of we, you know we don't work the land or we don't mm-hmm. we don't raise animals or we don't do these things and um and that's you know again that's kind of one of those um social issues that we're now looking at when when we look at um the the number of uh Farmers who are who are going bankrupt and mm-hmm. um, suicide among among people um, right. farming um, and and another another one of her books actually that I teach from a lot it's um scripture culture and agriculture can be a little bit of a harder read um, but um, one book from her that um, I actually use uh, when I teach Old Testament is called Getting Involved with God. Um, I love that title. It's great. It's it's really it's it's a phenomenal book, and and she has as her as her last section in the book, um, it's called Torah of the Earth, and and she has a, a section on um, learning ecology from the Bible, and um, then she also talks about um, how we again we don't talk very much about greed in in our churches or yeah in our, yeah yeah. And how greed is really at the heart of of a lot of what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she uses the story of manna um, as as a way of opening up that sense of uh, how so many of us pray, um, you know, probably weekly, maybe daily for mm-hmm. you know, give us this day our daily bread or whatever. Uh, and yet so many of us store up so much more right. than we need. Um, which also, of course, Jesus addresses in several parables. Right, um, right. But she points one of the kind of most convicting points that she makes in one of those passages that I just every time I read through it or every time I talk about it, it just it just again stops me in my track. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, she says, we have more prisoners in America than farmers. Oh, wow. And just That's... when that again, when that sinks in, we have you know. We we so many people have no connection to where their food comes from, have no connection to have ever having cared for, you know, raising crops or raising mm-hmm. things. Um, 
and and yet so many people you know um in our in our country are are incarcerated and um so what does that tell you about again the the sort of situation or values of a society um and what's going on yeah it just makes me think about how i i I put out a garden every year and um and i always think why am i doing this because Mm -hmm. i'm a terrible gardener i mean i I rarely get any like even i spend way more on it than i get out of it in terms of the value of the food but it it just strikes me every now and then that it's because i need to be doing this i need to be in touch Mm -hmm. with where food comes from and my soul needs it and Mm-hmm. I was thinking as you were talking, David, about um, I remember Matthew Sleeth wrote a book years ago called Serve God, Save the Planet. And mm-hmm. um, and he, he based the, the, the biblical ethic that he draws on is the parable of and I don't have this in our notes. So the parable of the Good Samaritan that oh, yeah. you know, taking care of the person at the side of the road can also be applied to thinking about the future and and mm. the fact that our actions are going to have terrible effect on people that have come in the future and you know caring for that person and stopping and and expending your resources to care for that person would be a reasonable way to apply that passage to this particular context. And, right. yeah. and I love what you're saying, too, about just how Jesus seems to be going at the heart of our acquisitiveness, our desire, our need for more and more, which is yeah. really, I mean, if we had, if we could, if we could back off like 10% on human acquisitiveness, what we would do to, to that, what that would do for our planet, you know, right. it's, it, yeah. it, you know it's, yeah. it's our greed and our constant desire to, to think about the future in terms of what we can make rather than in caring for our world that um so yeah and a a lack of i think a lack of of trust that you know that we will have enough a lack of willingness to to share what we have um you know i was i was really really convicted when i was um i can't remember if i was in well it was either when i was at lambeth when i was in college Mm -hmm. i went I went to Peru twice, and then a few years later, uh, after um, right after I graduated seminary, um, there there was that massive earthquake that did so oh, much yeah. damage. And so I, I was with a group that went down, um, and, and it was on one of those trips where you know we were talking to to some of the children, um, and they were just you know kind of asking us different questions about you know what what our life is like and everything, and and I was. I don't think it was me, but I was with I was with someone else who um, was married and um, they, you know, the, the the child was asking them if they had a car mm-hmm. and, you know, the person said, yes, you know, I have a have a car, you know, and, and they said, do you just have one car? And the person said, well, no, we have two cars, you know, it's we're, there are two of us and we have two cars and. And the child was just sort of confused, like, why do you need two cars, you know? And, right. and, and it was that moment of, you know, well, we live in a, again, we live in a society where it's like, yeah, you, you more or less have to have a car. I mean, yeah. you know, like you can, you can, you can take some public transport sometimes in, in some places, you can bike or walk sometimes some places. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for the most part, we've not thought out or designed our communities with the thought that, you know, gosh, just to make a car, you know, the, 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 
resources that are expended and right. and the the impact that it has and then you know obviously driving and and everything um what that does and then you know when the life of a car is over where does the car go you yeah. know that it's, it's not going to just you know biodegrade nicely and turn into you know a sunflower i mean mm-hmm. that, that things not going anywhere yeah, so yeah, yeah. those kinds of things um thinking through them and and again you know just kind of yeah what is our what is our faith commitment is our faith commitment compel us to be involved in saying um no, we really need for for any for any kind of community of any size, we need really good mass transit. That just yeah. makes makes too much sense to not have. Or we need good sidewalks everywhere, mm-hmm. um, and we need to sort of find ways to incentivize people mm-hmm. um, not not driving or not driving alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that 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 image of uh, you know I, it's been criticized for oh that's not you know completely accurate or whatever, but there's an image on the internet that I've seen several times of, you know, if you have like 20 different cars with one person in it, how much space that takes up versus, you know, one bus. Um, oh yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sorry. It's probably going off the rails. I told you. <laughs> no, no, no. That's uh, okay. that's, it, I, I was thinking, well, let, I'll tell you what, let's uh, go on to, uh, I, I really would like to discuss Romans eight passage because it's kind of a key passage uh, it's the only place, well, I guess in, it's uh, in Colossians 2, Paul talks about creation and uses the word creation several times. And right. it's an interesting passage. In fact, I know N.T. Wright has done quite a bit of writing on this passage and the kind of the environmental value this passage has. Mm-hmm. So I'll just read it. It's just a few verses. I'll read it real quickly. Uh, he says, Paul, Paul talks about the day that creation looks forward to the day when it, and it refers to creation, will join God's children in the glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believe we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for uh, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us full rights as adopted children, including new bodies He has promised us. So the key factor here is that Paul seems to understand that the creation itself is groaning and travailing. Actually, I think I should have read a section right above this. But at any rate, the point here that he's making is that creation itself is like got a, it's tracking on the same um, historical ve- uh, venue, I guess you could say, as our human salvation. In other words, just as we have been delivered by Christ in uh, our initial salvation, but we are looking forward to get the ultimate day of God's resurrection when all are resurrected and God's final judgment occurs on the earth. The, 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 the creation itself looks forward to the day when God will deliver it from its death and decay. Mm-hmm. And as if creation is an integral part of God's redemptive plan for humanity. Like, wow. that And there's another place in Colossians where it says something quite similar. That's um, that's really fa- fascinating. Yeah. And has, you know, cre- it's not like creation is off the radar as far as God's redemptive purpose. Creation is a part of it. Right. God intends to fix this world 
And 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 I remember N.T. Wright saying, you know, you could think of it this way, because someone could say, well, why should we do it if God's going to do it in the end? Why should we even try working on it? He said, think of it like your own holiness. You're just supposed to work on your own holiness and pursue righteousness in the meantime, even though you can't do it fully. You'll mm-hmm. never make yourself fully holy and ready for heaven, and God will have to complete it in the end. But you're still energized in that process, and you, you're invested in that process. He said, think of the environment as the same way. We need to be energized in doing what it takes to, to redeem this planet and to protect it and keep it. But God, in the end, will finish the job and will redeem it in the end. But we need to be responsibly engaged. So he right. said, like, like, you know, Christ is risen, go plant a tree. That was the name of this article. Mm-hmm. Christ right. is risen, go plant a tree. I love that title. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. NT's, you know, he's got a, a, a wonderful wealth of, of being able to, to name those kinds of things. Yeah, um, yeah and I think uh, that's, that's really one of the things that I was um, trying to, to reframe think most in in my book was this notion of not the uh you know that 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 not just getting rid of all of this and and then starting with a new thing yeah or yeah. not not with throwing this all away mm-hmm. um but rather the that the that part of what ultimate salvation and ultimate healing means is this restoration yeah. of of things and the and the putting right of what uh, has been harmed and what um, and, you know, being able to to restore and heal. I think, you know, that's that's one of the most amazing things um, about the way things have been created is is this this incredible way of, you know, being able to be healed. And mm-hmm. um, that, you know, I think um, uh that regardless of whatever happens to humans and i think this is one of the more maybe frightening things but also this should be one of the things that that is compelling our action mm-hmm. um, is that you know people and i think actually george carlin um i'm, I'm a big fan of lots of stand-up comedians and I oh yeah yeah a lot of theology from them um, <laughs> but you know he had a bit where he's talking about people talk about you know, we're destroying the earth or, the, or, you know, we're ruining the earth. And he's like, the earth's going to be fine. We're all, you know, and then he used a word that I won't yeah, use. Yeah. At but, you know, we're in trouble. We, you right. know, so, you know, humans and other creatures who depend on the health of the earth, uh, we are the ones that ultimately there's going to be, you know, are we going to make it or not? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, again, if you can only you can only poison a place so much or whatever um, before it becomes uninhabitable. But, you know, at, at that time, when, whenever, perhaps if, if humans aren't around, then the earth will start to heal itself again Mm -hmm. and, and, and we'll, we'll flourish again, you know? So it's, it's this kind of sad thing that don't let it come to that. Right. Right. Can't, can't we find a way to do that without us having to not exist? Yeah. Uh, so, David, we're, we've talked a lot about Scripture and done some, I think, some very 
heavy lifting in terms of uh, good good biblical theological perspectives and that come from scripture. But we're also in the scripture tradition experience reason. We also have the T, the tradition part. And we had talked earlier. One of the ways to get at tradition is to ask, you know, what what is your denominational statement? I think there's real value in people sitting down and really stewing on some of these issues. And uh, and the Methodist Church, we have a statement, and you're very familiar with it. I thought maybe you could uh, summarize that for us. What's what's our Methodist statement? So, David, what's the Methodist statement on um, on the Bible and the environment? Uh, so uh, the United Methodist Church adopted in its uh, 2016 Book of Resolutions um, a statement that's titled Caring for Creation, a Call to Stewardship and Justice. And um, it's, it's extraordinarily well uh, crafted. It's based on... Um, numerous scriptures, uh, Old Testament and New Testament. The first, um, actually, section starts with Psalm 24, uh, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so, um, again, a reminder, um, and and one of the things I I really enjoy is the word stewardship. Mm -hmm. And, again, that's, that's a word that has been, you know, kind of taken and only used, you know, to talk, once a year about the church's budget or that budget. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that obviously that, that word needs to be recovered and, and it talks about so much more, but then the underlying under the underlying meaning there is that this is not ours at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, being a steward, um, being a caretaker, being, a uh, you know, a person who is, 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 you know, ba basically this has been lent to us for our upkeep um, but the owner uh, is God. And so mm -hmm. all of this that, that is created belongs to God. Uh, and we're we're asked to care for it. Um, and to some degree or another, perhaps, you know, again, we'll be asked to render an account. Um, how did you care for those things that I gave you? Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, it, it goes on to really um, boldly talk about. Um, that the you know the deterioration of of creation um is in many ways based on human activity human greed right. uh it is sinful um so it really does name um you know that's those, important isn't it just to call boldly. it sin it, yeah. yeah exactly yeah it's yeah. a sin it's missing the mark it's we should yeah, do better harming, than this it's harming it's harming god the creator it's harming mm -hmm. that which god gave us so uh and then it spends a minute in um in methodist tradition um it, it does talk about how john wesley in many ways was a pioneer mm -hmm. um in his thinking about um the health of a society um in relation to um you know particularly um sewage and and the way that that um uh, water was treated or or not and and you know obviously industrial um cities and and how uh people were to live there and so um wesley was a proponent way much uh, ahead of his time in terms of caring for that and also mm -hmm. of caring for um 
animals. Um, uh, so um, that was one of the things early on is uh, my brother-in-law is a, is a veterinarian and mm-hmm. really early on in practicing, you know, he, um, he's, he's a person of really deep faith. And, mm-hmm. and so he had, you know, when people would ask him, you know, about where, what's going to happen to my pet or what, you know, what, where is there, do all dogs go to heaven kind of thing right. or whatever. Uh, and we talked about it and, you know, I just talked about how, um, again, it, I don't exactly know how that kind of thing works. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know completely what I think about, um, do they have souls or this kind of right. thing? I know that they're, they're creatures and they're living beings and, they can experience pain and joy, and so there's something going on there, and there's something. I think there. I think the biblical text he's, he used was in the Psalms where it says God's glory is over all His works, mm, and so yeah. he saw all God's works is everything God created, and uh, no, it's His mercy is over all His works. His mercy is over all His works. So God has a merciful. So God cares about animal suffering. I think that's, right. you know, God cares right. about animal suffering. God cares about uh, the suffering. Well, in, in what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, you know, that the groans, the universe is groaning and travailing. It's suffering. Right. And it's interesting, too. I'm going to jump back to the prophets for a minute. I, I remember reading an article a while back about, and I don't have texts in front of me, but about there's a theme that goes through all the prophetic literature. And one of the key texts is in Joel, actually, uh, where um, where it's the 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 the, uh, the um, land is spoken out of as crying out because of suffering caused by human sin. Oh, so yeah. in other words, human sin is causing pain to the land and it's crying out. Right. And that image is is all over the prophetic literature as if human action can bring devastation to the planet. I I'll always think of uh, driving through eastern Kentucky years ago and just being horrified at the strip mining. Just yeah. absolutely, dis- I mean, where you wanted to throw up. It was sure. so, and it's like, this is greed. I mean, you can make money with a deep mine. You can, you can actually yeah. make money, but you make right. more with uh, three guys with caterpillars in an afternoon. You can take a mountain down. Right. And, um, so it's it was just so horrific. I, I think that's one of those experiences that I will just changes the way you. So actually, that's a good segue yeah. to the next section. We talked about scripture. We talked about tradition, and then experience. That's my experience. You know, just that horror, and I hadn't yeah. uh, even thought of talking about that. But I thought, David, let's just share our experiences, and, or and it can be like news experience. Mm-hmm. Like we've all been horrified at the way that Venice is being flooded because of mm-hmm. sea level rise and the terrible concerns that that's causing. And no one there is asking, is this really climate change? They all know it's climate change because it's not right. political. For us, it's political to even say that because it means you're, it tends to mean you're a Democrat and not a Republican. I mean, it right. tends to. Right. And right. so it becomes political. But if it's non-political as it is in Europe, it's just like there. They all know that the climate is changing and that, you know, billions and billions of gallons of ice are, or uh, ice is crashing into the ocean every year. I, I've, I heard the other day it's like a four mile square mm-hmm. of polar ice is going into the ocean every year. Right. Four mile square. Right. Right. So, yeah. So what are your thoughts? Like, what are what are some ways that you've experienced this? Um, well, I, you know, I think that um, 
just you know i've i've had such amazing experiences with the beauty of creation um you know like i said growing up from a family that would camp and fish and uh, you know we would we would really um a lot of our vacations were not you know necessarily to 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 fancy kind of places they were you know national parks or they were um you know i remember i'll i'll just always remember my first trip to niagara falls and just the just standing there just in awe of that um and so you know i a lot of passion for me has always really been connected to um caring for the you know caring for those places and Mm -hmm. and wanting to have you know the next generation and and now that i have wanting to have you know my boys get to experience um what i was able to experience without without it being ruined and and there's there's anger that happens in in me when it's like are my are my kids gonna like even know what four seasons are you know or is are our seasons now becoming so bizarre and so you know out of whack that that it's just like there's not there's not even any you know sense to it anymore other than it's going to be really really hot for a while and then it's going to rain the rest of the time um but you're not really going to experience you know what an actual fall or autumn uh, is really like um and then you know uh i was uh, i was really profoundly impacted in a lot of ways um by hurricane katrina i think that 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 was really kind of when i was starting to 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 put together a, a theology of care of creation mm-hmm. and uh and and so i could and and i think the reason is because um you know the the other the other call to this and i think we've mentioned this a little bit but um the 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 call in this resolution is a call to justice yeah absolutely and, and yeah. that you know obviously what the prophets are are railing against is this injustice that you know the land can't defend itself mm-hmm. and, and there are a lot of creatures who can't defend themselves and yeah. um but but and it, not, and it affects the poor and ex- more that, that, than, that, than that, anyone that's the next thing yeah, yeah. Is, is that it's it's <sighs> it's it's just you know massively impacts the poor right. much more than it does those who are wealthy and even i remember um sam wells who was for a while dean of duke chapel and right and I worked with Sam and Sam was really influential in, in, um, in, in a lot of my ideas early on. Um, and, and I remember Sam preached a sermon. He was very newly installed as the Dean of Duke Chapel right after, um, or right, I think it was right before Hurricane Katrina and then Hurricane Katrina happened. And one of his sermons was simply titled Hurricane Katrina. And, and he looked at, you know, what had happened from, from a vantage point of, you know, God and creation mm-hmm. um, and then and then the poor. Right. And and he I remember him specifically saying, you know, that we found out that if you don't have the means, you know, if you don't have like a another home to go to or you don't have relatives to go to or you don't have money to go get a hotel somewhere else or flee the city or whatever. Right. He said, we found out what happens and what happens is you die. Yeah. And, and, you know, that really just stuck with me that, um, again, if we look at the if we look at the world, we look at the people who live in these coastal areas um, where they're forecasting significant sea rise and these kinds of things, um, you know, the, the, 
the refugee crisis and the humanitarian crisis is going to be unspeakable. Yeah. Um, if these things happen the way that, that we're talking about them happening. Um, and, and so again, you know, how is that not, how is that not related to, mm-hmm. you know, national defense or terrorism, yeah. or, you yeah. know, all these kinds of Just things. Love for your children. I mean, love yeah. for your children. Yeah. Right. You want your children to be able to enjoy the seasons and to be able to go backpacking out in the Bighorn mountains. And, right. and yeah. if, if we have massive devastation uh, as, as it, you know, is likely to occur if we keep going down this road with doing very little. I mean, the, right. what's shocking is how little we're actually doing. Right. I mean, right. major action. I mean, we, we do have a lot of, you know, renewable energy that wasn't uh, around before. And that's exciting and that's encouraging. And, you know, yeah. it's it's always nice to see. I actually really, and here maybe we're shifting a little bit, a little bit toward the reason, fine. Uh, I, I, I really was very impressed with a... A uh, documentary I saw a while back called um, Inside the Mind of Bill Gates. It was fascinating. Abs- and I recommend everybody to watch it on Netflix, Inside the Mind of Bill Gates. But it, uh, his commitment to nuclear energy was mm. very interesting that these newer, new, the newer technology, the, the, what, when you think about a nuclear energy plant, you're thinking of something designed in the 1960s with a slide ruler. Right. But modern yeah. nuclear, and, and they can. Mobile is the. Yes, know, exactly. <laughs> And of course, yeah. Chernobyl just came out on HBO. So oh yeah, yeah, I actually saw some of awards, it. It's like ah. No. Yeah, yeah, but the, the, there we could solve this by going nuclear. I mean, the 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 uh, the newer reactors are they actually use as their fuel the spent fuel. Yeah. The spent right. fuel is now the fuel, and yeah. they literally cannot overheat. They just can't yeah. because they're not using that kind of fuel. Right. And and uh, they you know a small I mean imagine where every semi had a little nuclear reactor in the back and it never had to fill up with gas it just would go right. you know twenty years yeah. um, that's yeah. the kind of potential I mean we we could do this we could fix right. this problem and I thought uh, just in, under the area of reason we should talk a little bit about Dan uh, Miller's TED talk we talked about this the other day yeah. I loved yeah. this TED talk because it just again like wow this is a solvable problem mm-hmm. at least in terms of the carbon uh, carbon dioxide increase that's the kind of primary driver oh by the way just uh, on Saturday's newspaper I read an article about how a California company is going into South Dakota which is like the reddest of the red states and do, and uh, working out contracts with dairy farms to take their poop and to put the dairy uh, feces and to put it in these big uh, containers that where it traps and it, to essentially sell off the methane and to profit by by you know burning the methane rather than which is already with the worst climate change gas out there you know we could make money on this this is a business proposition that uh, could make a huge difference and so but on that ted uh miller uh TED Talk. Do you, would you like to go ahead and try to summarize it a little bit, David? I've got some notes on it, too. It was a fascinating conversation. Yeah, One of the things I loved about it, though, just before, is he said, imagine if we found out that carbon increases were caused by ISIS or Al-Qaeda to destroy their enemies in the West. If if yeah. we had, like, an enemy out okay. there, if it wasn't yeah. just us killing yeah. ourselves, but if it was someone else trying to kill us, we'd solve it tomorrow. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. yeah um, and one, and actually, that's 
that has been also part of the strategy too of either not doing much or not doing you know anything in some instances is just to kind of keep blaming other countries for you know say well why should we do anything if china is not you know and all this kind of thing and it's like again that kind of reasoning is just so bizarre to me right Um, right why should i you know why should i you know not abuse my wife and children if other people other are doing people it, you know, with it. Yeah, please. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, the, the, I think the talk was great in, yeah. in that it it really did talk about some of the reasons that that this is such a different thing yeah. we are facing. Um, that you know he he again was talking about if you know if a bus is headed for someone, mm-hmm. um, you know then you know to get out of the way or to hit someone out of the way or whatever. Um, but but this challenge is so different in so many ways um and and it's you know it's it's kind of yeah it's killing us slowly mm-hmm. um it just it's kind of like it's not like a tiger attacking us where there yeah. is the danger you know right. run you know right 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 yeah i mean we're programmed to we're programmed to react to certain stimuli and this mm-hmm. is this is the kind of perfect killer and in, it's, in how it's, it's not visible it's not right. immediate it's caused yeah. by ourselves not some enemy right 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 yeah um and but you know he he went so he went to describe that which i thought was really helpful mm-hmm. when you're talking about other people uh, or talking to other people about this um which it, kind of borrowing also from and i, I do want to lift up uh, the ted talk of Catherine. oh hey-ho. Catherine hayhoe yeah that's a, a, excellent um, as well yeah um but you know and she mentioned just yeah that we don't talk about this and that right. our our communities aren't talking about this enough and so i think it was great in that it gave you some really helpful tools to understand how this is different and yeah. then um talking about the um the fee and dividend model yeah. he's proposing of um of you know asking basically taxing carbon but on a mm-hmm. but on a personal level instead of it being um, you know, corporations would would have their own models. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, again, your your family, uh, how you know, how much are you using uh, and that that you would pay, you know, a certain amount. And then obviously, if you're cutting that, um, then you receive a dividend. And so that it it actually flips the damage done to the poor. Right. Um, right. In, in that the you know, it's back back to kind of this fair share model that, mm-hmm. you know, the the poor will pay a fair share. The wealthy will pay a fair share. If you have four homes, then yeah, you're going to, you're going to pay more because you're right. using more resources. Um, but if you, if you live modestly, if you turn off your lights and have a mm-hmm. moose outside your door, um, you know, you'll get a dividend. And yeah. so that's, it's, um, it's interesting. I, I listened to a uh, planet money podcast. Actually, they have several podcasts on this topic and uh, I learned that this was a, a model that was put together by uh, several MIT economists. So they've got the top level cr- uh, cred- credentials to this model. And they're convinced that this would work, right? Yeah. So it's a, a carbon tax at the mine pump report for like 10 cents per uh, per thousand ton of carbon that they produce or something like that. I forget the, nu- the detail, none of the numbers. But I, I think it was like it would be it would start out with being like a 10 cent increase per gallon at the pump so mm-hmm. we would have to pay more at the pump but the but then then the second part is that everybody would get a income distribution a tax dividend that would come from 
from the money that you're so at, we're paying a little more at the pump, but you get a tax dividend back every year, which would more than cover it. And there's right. an explanation on why it works like that. And then so somebody goes, well, what if we do that, but the rest of the world doesn't? Well, what you just take it the next step further and you, you put a carbon tax on any import sent to you from a country that doesn't tax carbon. Right. So so yeah. to make them pay for the if you want to do business with us, you're going to have to tax your own carbon or pay a tariff of yeah. 10 of this certain. And and the thing that's so cool about that is that shifts the economy around to make green uh, the green the green technological solutions that much more cost effective. Right. And so right. it doesn't cost us any money. I mean, I shouldn't say it that way because it'll cost certain people some money. But it, it's it's <laughs> everybody gets a dividend back, right? And everybody right. gets the same check. Actually, yeah. that's the way they describe. Everyone gets the same check. So um, so anyway, if you want to learn more about this, just do TED Talk and then Fee and Dividend Solution. I think would find it. I I looked it up the other. Dan Miller is the guy's name. Yeah. So yeah, I just thought that's so exciting. I mean, yeah, we, we yeah. could solve this, at yeah. least in terms of the carbon, which is the center of the difficulty. There, there are genuine, uh, good, economically good, uh, scientifically good solutions out there. That, And what's fascinating, I heard this when, when I listened to Planet Money, that these economists were saying, you can describe this, you give a full accounting for it in two sheets of paper. It's that yeah. simple. Right. It's a simple plan. Right. And, and um, and and really, I mean, it does seem like and the, he's the Dan Miller is very confident that in time this will have to. Uh, the question isn't like, are we going to do it? It's going to be, are we going to do it in time? And right. So, yeah. 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 So I'd encourage everybody to go and listen to that TED talk and um, and um, learn more about. And then the, the Catherine Hayhoe TED talk is very, very good. Just about the importance of talking about this. You know, she said, as David described it, she said that, you know, two thirds of Americans never talk about climate change, even though 70% of Americans believe it's harmful and 60% believe it's harmful and caused by humans. I think that was the, the breakdown. And yet right. most, no, most of us, it's like, oh, and, and, and Dan Miller said, you know, talking about climate change is some, something like flatulence at a, at a, you know, dinner party. And it's, right. we, we, we're embarrassed to talk about it, you know, right. yeah. and, and we need to kind of be a little more bold. I, as a result of this, David, I, I, I decided to do this podcast, but also I have a class where we talk about ethical issues and I, I've put it in the lecture structure for the class that I'm going to we're going to be talking about this. Um, well, hopefully uh, one of my favorite parts of, yeah, of Catherine's talk was the, uh, the student who, uh, after yes. her said, you're a Democrat. You're a Democrat. She yeah. Said, no, yeah. I'm Canadian. I'm a Canadian. So, so maybe, you know, just what, after they say that you can just say, no, I'm Methodist or something. I'm Methodist. Yeah, there we go. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Hey David, I really appreciate your time. Is there anything else you wanted to throw in at the end or we've had a great uh, yeah, I, I think uh, yeah, I think just doing doing so many things, um, but but with the single focus of how are we caring uh, for for what's been given to us, and um, you know, I, I think you know, think thinking again about the next generations and um, how are they, what 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 are we leaving for them? What are what are they going to be able to to either enjoy or or have to deal with yeah. um and and you know so that connection of um 
of of being good stewards yeah. and of caring for what we've given well. Yeah, and I loved her emphasis, and again, this is Catherine Hayhoe's TED Talk, uh, her emphasis on, you know, tie this into people's values. She talked about going to the Rotary Club, and they have, right. what do they call the four ways? That's four different kind of diagnostic questions yeah. to yeah, ask. Yeah, yeah. And she tied her talk into the four ways. Is it true? Is it uh, mm-hmm. is it generally good? Is it, you know, so she tied it into the four ways. And she said, you know, people's faith. She said, well, that's one of my favorite ways to talk about it is, you know, as a Christian, I'm committed to to being a person who cares for God's creation. It's God's good creation. He says it's very good and right. repeats that. And and um, so so it's uh, it, our, it's it's a faith initiative. It's a love your children initiative. It's care for national security initiative. It's all of those things that we care about. So yeah. Well, thanks, David. I appreciate your time, and it's been a, a joy to just to have this conversation, this biblical conversation. That's right. Thanks again, Joel. All right. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hey, thanks, David. I sure appreciate the time you've taken to appear on this podcast two times now and for being such a wonderful biblical conversationalist. It looks like I'm going to do a few episodes on the, on the Bible and the environment. I've uh, put a lot of preparation into these, and I feel like there's a lot of other material that David and I didn't get a chance to discuss that I would like to discuss with some others. But the main issue is that this is such a, an important topic for our time that I want to have some uh, continued conversations with others, maybe some faculty friends here. There's a theologian I've had some conversations with about coming in to speak on the topic. So um, so this is something that you'll hear more about as we look forward into the future. If you have ideas for other topics, please contact me. My name is Joel Allen, and I'm a professor of religion and philosophy at Dakota Wesleyan University in Mitchell, South Dakota. And my email address is uh, j-o-a-l-l-e-n at d-w-u dot e-d-u. I'd love to hear from you. Also, if you're a pastor of a church or involved in ministry and you're looking for a place, a good uh, place for to send students to be trained in Christian leadership, please consider encouraging them to send their applications to Dakota Wesleyan University. So as always, please subscribe to this program so it comes up regularly in your feed. Um, I encourage you to rate and review us on Apple. And, and so we close as always by reminding ourselves that the word of God is for the people of God. So we say together, thanks be to God.